Hey, I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Mission Matters. My name is Adam Torres, and if you'd like to be a guest in the show, just head on over to missionmatters.com and click on Be Our Guest to Apply. All right, so did I have Nicholas Rose on the line? He's co-founder of Hyperscale. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Adam. All right, Nick. So this is a big one. Improving your lead to cash life cycle. A lot of business owners, entrepreneurs, and executives uh, watch this show. And I mean, they're looking for exactly what you're talking about. I'm excited to also get some insight and tips uh, for us over here at Mission Matters. So excited to pick your brain for uh, my audience and myself. Um, But we'll start this episode the way that we start them all with our Mission Matters Minute. So, Nick, we at Mission Matters, we amplify stories for entrepreneurs, executives, and experts. That's our mission. Nick, what mission matters to you? Yeah, so for us, you know, every company is looking to scale and, like, grow revenue. Um, But many of them spend money and a lot of it in places or in tools, especially marketing sales. And they kind of blindly expect results will improve. And the growth doesn't materialize and it's hard to figure out what's causing those problems mm-hmm. for us our mission is to help those companies improve how marketing and sales kind of work together and really drive revenue and this function's pretty much been called revops or revenue operations mm-hmm. and most companies but really the time is a lot of people don't have the resources for it mm-hmm. or the capabilities to solve some of these large complex problems so we help companies build these foundations uh, and make them basically so they can have rapid growth really by connecting these teams, technologies, powering people to make the decision. Um, and we do this across the lead life, lead to cash life cycle, fixing common problems, um, like improving visibility in the marketing funnel, understanding ROI, um, things like that. So we're really excited about this. Love to talk about these topics, um, helping companies out with these issues. Perfect. And uh, we'll be getting some tips from you today and also some insight. Um, but, you know, let's go a little bit further back in your career. So I'm interested. I mean, like, how does the guy, the entrepreneur decide that they want to go into helping other businesses scale? Like, where did this entrepreneurial uh, journey start for you? So this started with uh, my other co-founder, uh, Ben Moley. Uh, he's uh, He used to be a uh, at Bain Consulting. Mm-hmm. Um, myself, I was at Dell. We did, uh, been in sales, been in marketing, but started really in mergers and acquisitions mm-hmm. um, and did 22 of them in the Dell Software Group. And we were slamming, kind of combining companies together, uh, you know, basically changing out the sales process, changing out the marketing process. And that's where we got, mm-hmm. and basically really cut a lot of our teeth on this. We got to see a lot of different areas. Um, we went to a startup ourselves in Boston called Mindex. We were basically like like employee 80 when we started. It was like very, very little people. There's only like 20 people in the U.S. and mostly everyone in the Netherlands. Hmm. When we grew that company up to about 3,000, we sold that off to Siemens. And so that was a really nice like kind of milestone. And so after that, we're like, well, we've gone, done the enterprise. We've seen all these different companies, the challenges and the obstacles they have, helped them grow. We've been part of the startup world, grown it from, you know, very, very few employees to, you know, 3,000 mm-hmm. had a really good exit. What do we do next? And we decided, like, let's go start our own operations company. And we were having consulting and people were reaching out to us, learning from expertise. And we just started to go off and make a hyperscale with the focus of helping companies, like, grow. Um, mm-hmm. And so these fast-growing companies, too. 
So I think uh, one, one of the interesting things about your background is that you've, you've done everything from you know, huge companies like Dell, been there and, and watched or assisted in multiple um, acquisitions or mergers there. And then you, you joined a startup yourself. So you've seen that small startup environment and then it helped grow it to you know, a larger company, enterprise level with thousands of employees. And then you transitioned kind of after you already had your, um, you know, already had your footing in, in the industry and saw maybe what worked and what didn't. I guess, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is do certain themes or obstacles tend to uh, arise for, for businesses as they go through these challenges? And I'll tell you briefly the reason why I ask this question. Sometimes as business owners, when we're sitting in our business and sitting in the chair every day, we feel like everything's unique. Like, no, this is, this is not our business. Our business is this or that. And I fell into that trap when I first started as an entrepreneur, by the way. So I'll, I'll pick on myself before you answer the question. But do certain themes tend to arise like over and over again that you see? Uh, yeah, definitely, Adam. There are certain themes that arise, um, in particular in certain industries, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I will say, yes, not everyone is different, right? But there are some changes in some certain industries, like a little bit Absolutely. it's different in SaaS than, say, like manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the biggest thing is, you know, uh, founders and CEOs will get stuck into kind of a pattern, which really happens, especially when kind of money was free in the market. They would put more money towards marketing sales. I'm going to hire more salespeople. I'm going to hire more marketing people, and we'll just brute force it our way out, right? So to speak, right? Or the revenue will come there. They look at an Excel sheet or planning. You know, I add ten more people, I'm going to get ten million dollars of revenue. Mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily work because you know there's other problems within the business process or efficiency that stops it, and that could be the tools or the systems. And the problem is, is they don't realize that until the bottom's dropped or it's starting to drop, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's a panic mm-hmm. mode. And the problem and the and the big part is the problem to fix their address that's already passed, right? And so they're gonna have to eat mm-hmm. that more. Maybe let's start with um I want to start pretty basic. So define the lead to cash life cycle. Uh, let's start there. Yeah. So you know if you ever think you've been on the website and you, you Google and you take a very simple example like a car dealership, right? Yeah. Or you're looking for an F one fifty or something like you know you Google Look at reviews. You see a, a nice form that says, "Hey, fill this out if you want to get this information." You fill it out like that's your lead. That that name or information has been captured. It's gone to you know a car dealership, and then the sales guy would pick that up. That leads can turn into, and the sales guy is going to say, "Hey, if this is an opportunity. Has a conversation with you, mm-hmm. right?" And then that's the part of the opportunity process that you come back and talk to the sales guy. Mm-hmm. The cash process when we go back should be lead opportunity cash would be all right you close the deal right you've you paid it finance whatever else and then now the accounting department and the finance department needs to watch that transaction make sure that transaction goes through and that's the cash part right um and the cash part gets really really complicated or really matters a lot especially for these scaling businesses because you because you could have multiple different ledgers different products different things to track mm-hmm. back to customers or customer relationship um so like it's a very easy way to describe it that's that helps people um, that's tangible for other people to understand. Yeah. And, and the idea here is that if you can also, you know, compress that time, if you can make it more efficient as well and, you know, and you, everything, I don't want to, I don't want to stereotype because everybody has a different a challenge within that cycle, or I don't want to generalize everybody has a different challenge within that cycle, but if you can get all of the pieces within that funnel working correctly or, or optimize, 
then uh, in theory, I mean, you should that that's where you can really start to hit scale and you can understand as a CEO or, a, you know, sit in the C-suite, like where the best efficient um, investment and, you know, where, where you should allocate resources. Is that the basic concept? Yeah, if you have the, the funnel efficiency figured out and you're starting to put the dollars in the right places, that's where you can really scale the business. Mm. And, and that matters a lot. And the thing that people don't realize is it's not all ratioed the same, right? It's not like 33 or 50% all the way out through. You're going to get more money maybe at the top of the funnel at certain times in the bottom. So mm. like that also helps out. And we do the analysis and help out companies with that too. Yeah. Why, why do some companies plateau? There's probably two different reasons for that. I think one from the market and scale, especially when you see, look at earlier startups, most of their business is done off of referrals or during certain periods of other people that they know in industry, or you'll have mm-hmm. uh, people who are willing to, specifically if their product is destructive, they're willing to try out those items um, or that product that you have. And that market might be getting saturated, right? Or get filled mm-hmm. up and get anyone else. And that's when usually some people plateau. And so then they have to do marketing or cold calling to go out to the other areas with it. Um, the other time that plateaus is, you know, there's just usually a business process or a function mm-hmm. that breaks with inside the company. Um, usually a big one sales enablement. You know, they, they'll hire more reps. Those reps aren't really being trained effectively or training correctly and they can't sell effectively. Right. And so that's another mm-hmm. way. They plateau. Usually those are the two ways. Yeah, I can see that. And and one of the thought processes or one of the logics that I think is like, what got you to a million dollars in revenue? It's not going to be the same thing that gets you to 10 million, right? Like there's going to be something that has to change, whether it's infrastructure or other ways and that whatever gets you that 10 million, I'm just picking those numbers out of a hat, by the way, you might have better data or more, a better metric on, on all these numbers. But I just mean like, you can't expect that what got you to where you're at is going to get you to where you want to go. Yeah, very, very true. And I mean, and part of the process there too, also the people, right? Like even at times in Dell has taught me this, right? right. Um, even Michael Dell was killing his company. He had 12 different CFOs, right? At certain stages, the same people that get you to zero to 100 are not the same people yeah. most of the time to get you from 100 to a, a billion. Yeah. And so one of the, one of the, um, one of the topics or one of the, the, the points you brought up in here, and I want to go a little bit further in it is the, the communication between sales and marketing. Um, I feel like that's the age old, uh, conversation, right? So, uh, sales says, uh, marketing's not giving us the right lead and, and marketing says sales isn't closing the deal. Like, like what, give us some insight in your experience on, on that communication factor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I put you on the hot seat on that one, depending on which one is listening, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's always a fun time when you walk into a room and you see both of the leaders yelling at each other. Um, I think so. Mainly, what it comes down to is they're both siloed, right? And, and they're supposed to be. And you know, I mean, let's be real. Nobody goes to college and they don't really teach marketing or sales, right? In today's world, like for like for people to really understand it or running a business at that point. Yeah. And I think the part of that is is those groups are so solid out. There's just not really an effective communication bridge or gap between marketing and sales. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a lot of times it needs to become on marketers not to pick on marketers here, mm-hmm. bridging that gap, coaching, teaching sales, what needs to happen with their campaign or how to follow up or working with messaging. Mm-hmm. And then sales has to take that and actually run it and then be a little bit more open-minded in that case. Mm-hmm. But most of the time it's because those two groups are so solid out and they're not looking to, to communicate across the other uh, the other aisles, so to speak. Mm. 
And so also thinking about, I guess we, ha- we have to pick on the tech while we're here. We picked on sales, we picked on marketing. All right, let's talk about tech. So, so many different platforms, so many tech, not like, like what else do we have to bring to make this thing grow? Like, let's, let's pick on that side for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. If you look at the history, um, like you see me MarTech or even sales tech, it's getting big. Thinking like 2003, there were maybe like 50 or 100 different platforms out there for technology. You look at today, there's a nice little graph infographic. There's over almost like half a million different technologies out there. You know, you look at for like sales acceleration technologies, there's like 50 different kinds, right? Sales loft, outreach, right? Gong. Like people can't make heads or tails out of that. Yeah. And the secondary problem is people will buy technology thinking it will solve their business process problems. Mm-hmm. And it won't, right? Because usually it's like the dog wagging the tail. So, or the tail wagging the dog, sorry. Mm-hmm. They need to figure out the business process before buying the right platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, that happens is, is people can buy the wrong technology too because they don't know what they need from a business process. So then sometimes they're stuck having the wrong technology for two or three years. We do help mm-hmm. a lot of people out with that also. So I want to I wanna jump around a bit here. Uh, so let's go further into a hyperscale. So the, the actual firm, um, you told us a little bit, but I want to go further. So tell us a little bit more about exactly maybe what you do and the types of firms that you help, whether it's by revenue or whether it's by industry, but just to give us a flavor, because at the end of this, I'll give you um, the opportunity, of course, to leave contact information, because I want people that make sense to, to definitely follow up and, uh, and take you up on what you're doing. Yeah, so we really work with CEOs, CMOs, CROs, and, and private equity firms. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say we probably work mostly from 100 to 150 employees. Mm-hmm. Those are the companies that are getting ready to scale or, or, or wanting to move to the next step. Mm-hmm. And then we really work with large enterprise companies, 5,000, maybe 10, uh, 20, 30,000 employees who are mm-hmm. trying to solve like really complex strategy problems um, between their technology, sales, and marketing that they just don't have the expertise to go figure out, right? Yeah. Um, so many people that have done like deduplication projects are like, how do they enter into Asia, right? Like there's not a lot of people that have that expertise. You know, we do have some of those. Um, so those are the type of companies we work with and employees. We really focus more on say business to business companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, we try to, we don't have expertise in consumers. We try to avoid away from that. Um, but then we really focus on tech PLG type product led growth um, companies, manufacturing, um, and really just fast growing companies at the end of the day. Yeah. And one of the things that, um, as I've done, you know, some some research into what you guys do that I believe is unique is that um, there's, there's consulting, but you also work on the implementation side. Like, tell me more about that. Yeah. So that's a really good point, Adam. Um, a lot of companies will either do, all right, we're just going to do the implementation. So if we're doing Salesforce, we're just doing Salesforce. Mm-hmm. We're not going to do a business process. Tell us what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And then the other groups will do the consulting strategy, but they won't help you implement it. So it'll be a binder on your you know, bookcase says, hey, how to go do it? And then just sits there for years on end because you guys never can go do it. Yeah. We do um, both, right? We do the consulting and the strategy side and we do the implementation. And that's really helpful because we can carry it always, you know, from cradle to grave. Mm-hmm. Any any stories you care to share, like just about, you know, things that you've seen in the industry since you've been on, on this journey as an entrepreneur yourself. So anything that kind of sticks out? Um, yeah, I think the big one is for us would be, you know, we help a lot of companies, especially on the private equity side, because mm-hmm. uh, private equity companies will hire us, especially once they finish a deal uh, with the company and yeah. they kind of get like, 
right, let's get it back healthy and get it on the right road. We help a lot of um, companies with basically what we call a marketing foundations piece. And there's a lot of areas where people don't really know how to like measure their marketing spend. What are those campaigns? And then really what it comes down to is they'll have a lot of good, um, let's say campaigns or marketing ideas and execution there, but it's getting lost, right? Because it goes to the sales reps or SDRs. It's not getting followed up on. And so like, those are probably the biggest issues we tackle. Um, it's really fixing that funnel from lead to say opportunity creation, measuring it and making sure people are effectively following up on those leads correctly, really to turn them into opportunity. Yeah, no, it, it makes a lot of sense that, that you would work with, um, with private equity also just because they're venture capital, because, um, like they're, they're working, they're dealing with a lot of different companies and that when they hire somebody or when they want to scale something, like they want it to be done, they want to make sure there's a, a level of oversight there and they're not day-to-day management. Since you work on both the consulting and the implementation side, it seems to me like you'd be in a unique position to be able to both speak the language, do, and have, you know, that feedback loop, right? Yeah. And the thing is, is you know, since we've seen the large enterprise and the startups yeah. too, there's a different level, let's say, maturity between like, you know, the crawl, walk, run. I, I hate to use that example, but it's really, really true. Yeah. Like, there's there's 20 different ways to do some things. Sometimes mm-hmm. the more simplistic approach is the best way to go do it, but some people mm-hmm. don't know how to actually apply it or execute mm-hmm. it back for the company in need. And so that's usually what we get brought in to do that, especially in the, the private equity side, because, you know, they want to turn around. They don't need this. 20 step sales process by any means. They need yeah. a 40 step process. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And and I want you to walk me through like what the um, kind of like what the user journey would look like to work with HyperScale. And by the way, um, not to oversimplify, I know every single, I'll, I'll preface it by saying every company is going to be different industry, you know, size of company, all these other things like that. And this, where they're at, the founders, I know there's infinite complexity there. Um, but like, what does it look like just in general to kind of walk through that process or to get started? Yeah, it's a good question, Adam. And so when we usually start this process, we kind of ask like, hey, we just do a kind of a quick discovery session. Mm-hmm. You know, what's really a pain point? Help us understand like what your problems are. And then what we usually ask is we do a scoping for free, right, for the mm-hmm. business. Um, we look at the systems. We talk to the marketing exec or the sales exec, mm-hmm. usually an outreach, just try to get an idea of like what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then we come back and say, hey, this is a suggestion or a strategy conversation. And then kind of have a proposal. And so that's usually how the engagement works. Um, and it's been very, very successful for us. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, if you're, if you're doing a thorough needs analysis and, um, and the idea here, I believe I picked this up from what you said, is that you're not necessarily trying to fix or do everything at once, right? You're looking at, okay, what's the pain point? And then you're kind of evaluating like what makes sense in what order to tackle what at what time. Is that kind of what I'm getting here? Yeah, and I think the, the order of how you tackle things are really, really important, right? Yeah. You know, people want to go, you know, we handle forecasting, right, as an example, mm-hmm. but if they don't have the forecasting methodology, really, they really can't do forecasting correctly, right? And there's a lot of problems with that. And we see people also trying to put technology in those places without trying to get some of the basics covered too, right, which compounds the problem also. Yeah. Layers on layers and legacy, Nick. Come on, un- unravel it, right? Yeah, there's definitely some tech debt in every place. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> as there should be though by the way not not i mean because a lot of companies i mean uh, you know if you started a certain way and you uh and you were you were set you didn't maybe you had a, a thesis right and it got bigger and it got bigger you you wake up one day you look around and you're like wait where'd all these people come from right 50 100 people and you're like okay we're, we're supposed you've had your nose down you've been kind of looking at you know looking at what you need to do you've been executing and now you're hitting this plateau and you're thinking okay what am i missing and you're not necessarily going to, in my opinion, many times, you're not going to be able to figure that out just on your own or with your internal team. I believe, and I 100% am an advocate of looking at for outside help, especially with specialty firms like yours, because one of the big differences here is that, um, you know, if you're, if you're trying to solve that, that problem or that challenge within your company, okay, you're solving one problem. But if you're working with a team that's solving this problem or helping many, many companies with this, you also have the unique vantage point of learning experience from cross industry, cross sector, different sizes of companies, and then also track record. So to me, it's like you're hiring the, the specialist that's going to be able to come in and hopefully um, figure out some things with the assistance of your team and then really allow that business to scale. Is that the gist? I, yeah, it is. And I can't stress this enough. There's a some people feel like it's bad to go for outside help, especially when you're a young firm, right? Because like money can necessarily be tight and, and I get that and that can be okay. Yeah. But there's only so many people on the market who have skills and expertise yeah. that have also gone through like a scaling company. And most of the time you're not going to have people on your bench or in your company that have gone through that. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to learn the hard way, which means there's going to be impact to the business or you can bring some outside help to help basically navigate coach or implement so that you don't have to hit you know that wall in six months you can avoid it right and, and i really really stress that to a lot of ceos that aren't necessarily thinking about that right because you know operations is very very diverse and very very specialized and so like you can get a person who's good in like one or two things but they're not going to be a Swiss army knife that you're looking for to cover everything right it's just not, yeah. it's not reality yeah. And, and the other thing is, and, and this is, again, this is my bias, not yours. So I'll say it. The people that are really good or really get into this, they started companies like Hyperscale. <laughs> so so yeah. they're not going to join your team as a full-time employee. Like you guys are the ones that are out there doing it. And this is your sport. This is what you want to do. You want to get these big wins for companies. Like, so you, you know what I mean? In order to get somebody like yourself in your team, you have to hire outside help. There's no choice. Like that's yeah. just the way it works. Architect, I worked with him for for many many years. Right, he's at Accenture. He has his experience has these experiences solving these big problems. Yeah. And guess what? He wants to keep solving these big problems at other companies. Yeah, he's at a company. He's already completed it. Right, he slayed the dragon. Yeah. Now what? You're not going to keep or retain those type of talent or people either, right? Because those people, like you said, Adam, are going to join us or other consulting firms because they want to keep solving those big problems, right? So people need to realize that too. Yeah, it's a different personality type. It's a different feel, and uh, and I'm I mean I'm grateful for guys like you that are out there. I'm getting it done. Well, uh, Nick, I have to say it has been. I learned a lot today, and I had a lot of fun on, on this episode. Um, I just have to ask, what's next? I mean, what's next for you? What's next for Hyperscale? I mean, we're we're growing. Uh, we've already hit you know roughly around twenty employees. We're gonna probably look to double our revenue already. We've already yeah. done that this year, so this has been great. So for us, we're just going to keep on expanding and we're looking to hire great talent, um, great operations people that are looking. So uh, if anyone's interested, you know, come out and reach 
my email is uh, nick.rose at hyperscale.com. Be more than happy to talk to people. It's awesome. And uh, we'll put all that information in the in the show notes so that, um, you know, our audience can just click on the links and head right on over. And speaking of the audience, if this is your first time with Mission Matters or engaging with the platform, we're all about bringing on entrepreneurs, executives and experts and having them share their mission, um, how they're making a difference in the market and really what we can all learn from that so that we can all grow together. Uh, if that's the type of content that you're into or sounds interesting or engaging to you, hit that subscribe button because we have many more mission-based individuals just like Nick coming up on the line and we don't want you to miss a thing. And Nick, and man, congrats on the growth, congrats on all the success and congrats on all the companies out there that are working with Hyperscale and have the benefit of your and your team's expertise. So thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks a lot, Adam. Take care.